Hello and you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. My name is Isaac Kujo de Nwabua and this is where we sit with inspiring Africans who are leading the change to transform the narrative about the continent. And today we have with me my very good friend and young writer, creative, Afrofuturist, teacher, Jacob Amanosai. And we're going to speak to Jacob about a couple of things but around creativity, his writing, his experience as a teacher in a community where teaching is not valued as much, um, his thoughts around creativity, Afrofuturism, and how we can mirror um, technology and writing and creativity together. So it's going to be an exciting conversation around building the next generation of African talent in writing and technology and creativity. So I have with me Jacob Amanosa. Jacob, welcome to the Change Africa podcast. Thank you very much, Isaac. I'm so excited to be here and I look forward to the conversation. You know, something I've never asked you, Jacob, is that um, you have a speech, I don't know what I call a disorder, difficulty in speech. Has it ever become a problem for you? First of all, when did you notice that you had this problem? Was Was it always something that you got while you were growing up? And was it ever an impediment for you growing up? Okay, so I think the first time I really realized that I had this difficulty in talking was in JHS. I was called by a female teacher to give a question, which I knew the answer. And here I was fumbling and like, oh God. So that's actually when I realized that this thing is actually something that I have to deal with growing up. But it has never been like... Head to anything I have always set my mind to do. I feel for time I've learned how to control it, and as time goes on, I'm getting better with it. But most sometimes it pops up, but mostly I'm now good at controlling it, and yeah, that's it. Excellent. But I want you to tell us, Jacob, about yourself. Um, where did you grow up? And more importantly, tell us a story of how you got interested in writing. It's so I grew up. I was born in Accra, North Kaneshi, and to an electrician dad and a seamstress mom. So I went to school, primary, junior high school, senior high school, Accra Academy, then moved on to the University of Ghana. In Accra Academy, I studied general science, and that's actually where the whole creative writing thing started for me because I had amazing people who came to inspire us through poetry, through creative writing, the readers and writers club. The school prefect was in my class, was an amazing guy, who was good at science, was a good poet. So looking at such a person, it was just an inspiration for us. And I also remember one time, Alakasa came to our school to do an incredible poetry ministration. And instead of being in class, I was at the assembly hall, listening to these people reciting poems amazingly. And that's where it all started. So that's where I started writing poetry because the leader who is called Sir Black he said, when you go home, also write your own. And I went home and I wrote my first piece of poetry title, Talking to the Moon. 
so from there the passion and the zeal just broke out in me and every little opportunity that i had i just wanted to scribble something down and that was in the final year 2012 preparing for us so after us i spent a whole year at home just perfecting my creative skills writing poetry short stories writing songs i even wanted to be a musician because i had a friend who had a studio so intermittently i went to the studio scribbled some scripts he created some soundtracks and we we're like let's put it together but everything changed when i got admission to the university and i had to leave to the university of ghana to continue my school so that's how writing started for me so in the university of ghana too i continued writing though the course i was offered to read was physics mathematics and computer science it didn't deter me from writing at all i still had a passion i still dedicated time to write and i wrote mostly in the university i was more focused on screenwriting writing for tv because i was so passionate about tv i i, I had so many interesting tv series that i watched and i really wanted to create something similar so i learned the art of writing for tv screenwriting and a bit of playwriting so basically that's something that i was so interested about then in level three i met a guy who said okay you have to write a book initially i never thought of writing a book because for me it was not really a thing for me i wanted to write script for tv so that was the first time the thought of writing a book came in and i started writing you know and the final year i also met writers projects of ghana because the director was actually a lecturer in my department dr martin and we went through an incredible creative writing session called Writers Cafe Saturdays, and it was so helpful. So, you know, pragmatism and you know, evolving, teaching us the basic of creative writing, and that's all those things that have shaped us to become the kind of person we are. And in 2020, I launched my maiden science fiction novel titled The Raven, and I think that's the best I've written so far. But there's more to come yeah, as we stay tuned. <laughs> there's a lot of words and stories in there but let's you know unbundle your journey before you met the El Castle group and if you are listening El Castle is one of the pioneering spoken word groups in Ghana that have really kind of expounded the art of spoken word and popularized it through um, you know competitions on high schools outreaches and trying to bring a certain kind of swagger that was previously missing in the spoken word genre in Ghana. And that is the group that inspired Jacob during his high school to get to start writing. But the question I was trying to ask is, before Ella Casa came, what did you uh, aspire to be? And how did the confluence of the meeting of Ella Casa, you know, kind of change your trajectory or influence you to start writing really? What was it particularly? Okay, so before Alakasa, I, I wanted to be an engineer, just like my dad. My dad is an electrical engineer, so basically I had basic knowledge going to work with him. Mostly when I was in primary school, I, we did a lot of work together. So I, I, I wanted to be an engineer. But in Accra Academy, there was something, like, we learned from each other. Even though we were colleagues, the thing is that when someone does something, it's amazing. And it's mind blowing. Some also want to do the same thing. So I think that's something that formed the basis for also learning to write poetry. Because a lot of my friends in class were writing poetry and they'll come and present it or perform it at assembly. And it was so amazing. It's so beautiful. Like, 
so what am I doing with my life? So meeting at La Casa was like the threshold or the green light that we needed. We did we did needed a spark. And I think Alakaza came in to flicker or add flicker to the flame that has culminated at this point. So basically, that's how it all happened. Okay. And you said that your first poetry was talking to the moon. What was talking to the moon about? Talking to the moon was basically more. Um, uh, mostly growing up, I've been a, a quiet guy, doesn't really like talking, always behind the scenes, always in the corners, thinking about my life. So talking to the moon is more like a metaphor where you're talking to yourself or you're talking to a divine being, asking the, the, the strangest and the most strongest questions about life. What is this life about? Why am I here on earth? So the moon is a symbol of a deity, what you believe in, and Basically, the, the quietude because the moon only appears in the evening, and the quiet, even quietude is a, a picture of how solemn such moments are. I believe people have, everybody has this point in their life where they ask the difficult questions: What is this life all about? What kind of life am I living? And hopefully, they want answers. So that is the idea for talking to the moon: a moment or a season where you reminisce what life is all about. And how far you wish life can be for you. That's an interesting one. Um, you've spoken about, you know, multi genres that you are trying to approach. One of them is keen writing. But before I go into that bit, you were a young writer and um, in high school you found that, you know, love for poetry. As you reflect back to those days, um, what are some of the difficulties that you face and how do you now having realized that you've improved would you do I mean differently if you for example were meeting that old self or you were you had an opportunity to solve the problems that some of them you face okay so in high school I discovered that I I didn't really have so many people to critique and review my work so I, I wrote a lot but I believe so far as I've been able to write it, I don't really have to show it to anyone. I just, so I just kept most of my works in my book. Because I just kept on writing any idea that popped in my head. Anytime I had an inspiration, I would just put it on paper and put it in my notebook actually. And that was for me. But growing up, I got to see that your first work or what we call the first draft is not actually the best. You always have to do reviews. You always have to proofread. Because it's always it's through that process that you get the refined work, and there was not so many organizations or models or mentors who could have or who aided me in the process. So I was alone writing and keeping it in my books until I got to the university where I met a bigger organization. That's it. You, there's more work to be done, and so going back, I'll say if only there will be creative writing groups in the senior high schools to help nurture and harness and shipping people who are gifted, I'm sure it will go a long way to help them. Okay, then let's move into the space where you were doing screenwriting. What were you thinking? What was your motivation at that time? And what are some of the things that you were writing around? Screenwriting came quite interestingly because I had a friend who were passionate about, were so enthused about TV series, popular Arrow, The Flash, Suits. 
you know, we watch all these series and like, man, this is good. We don't have something similar like this on our TV screens in ah. Ghana. So let's create a TV series and also maybe pitch it to a producer and maybe you can produce it. We want something like Grim here in Ghana. For those who have watched Grim, you know how amazing Grim is. We want something like The Hundred, something classic, you know. So mm-hmm. that was how it started. So I met this friend who was also passionate about the same thing. So we came together, we formed a group, we, we discussed the stories and I write the script. And we had a lot of issues because we didn't know how we were going to move on to bring these stories onto the screen. But yeah. if you tell me, you didn't have any professional training in script writing. So how did you figure out how to write a script? Okay, so that's very interesting. So what I did in my screenwriting process is I downloaded a lot of TV scripts, mostly American from Hollywood. So I had script for Arrow, script for Flash, I had Vampire Diary script, I had script for Suits, I had script for the hundred any TV series ever. Because that the thing is that they mostly keep the pilot script available so you can download them. So I I had a lot of script and I read them and watch them. So after I watch, I read, just to make sure there's a correlation between the conversations, the actions that I see. And also I had to do a bit of analysis about the technicalities in screenwriting, because you need to know when a character is talking, whether it's a voice over off screen, cut, you know, introduction. <laughs> there are certain technicalities that came with screenwriting. And I have to learn all those things quite fast and early. I remember one time I stayed on school, stayed in school during a long vacation just to learn screenwriting. While my friends were in the house, I was in school at the Baum Library learning screenwriting. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your motivation at that point? Because clearly there was not a visible or uh, what I would say a clear pathway for you towards turning those screen, um, screen uh, scripts that you were writing into movies. So what kept you moving? What kept you learning it? Okay, so first I'll say the main thing that kept me moving was the passion. The passion to... Because for a person that I am, anything I have a passion for, I would like to do it to perfection. I, would, I like to do it to completion. So as so far as I said I want to learn screenwriting, I made sure that I did it perfectly to completion. And also, I had some few other people who were seniors in the theater art who said they would like to produce some of the script. I actually had a guy who wanted to do a music <laughs> series on campus from the theater art department. So I had to write a script. I remember I wrote the pilot script for him. And all night, I didn't sleep, finished the script. I sent it to the guy. It, it couldn't be produced. So I had other people who actually were interested at some point in time. And I stayed all night, wrote script for them, but still couldn't produce them. So, do you have any ambition or vision to, you know, write screen scripts, um, write for the screen, I mean, write for theater, or, you know, um, have an ambition to produce any of these things, or even write more and produce them in the future? Or you've kind of moved away from that, Jenna? I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm so, still so optimistic. I, I, I'm looking for opportunities still to produce because there's a lot I've written still in my Google Drive that I feel would be great when they are produced on the screens. Amazing stories that I've written. And in case I don't get anyone to make this happen, I'm looking to the future where I'm producing myself. Yeah. 
because they are great stories that will inspire the next generation of creators. Can you tell us some of the stories that you wrote? Okay, so there's this, I, I wrote this science fiction futurism titled Exeter. So basically it's about three young people who travel into the future and they see the devastation or the destruction of Africa and they are sent back in time to obtain something called the Exeter that is believed to be something that can actually save Africa. So that was the short film that I wrote, about 12 pages. Then I also wrote a complete movie called Eccentric Me about a young guy who is destined to be the salvation of the African continent and he dies and he comes back from the dead after receiving divine revelations from a group of people called the Black Girl. The Black Girl is believed to be an ancient African secret society that have a relic that can transform Africa. But there's another organization called Aurora who are bent on destroying or advert, averting what the Black Girl seeks to achieve. Then I also wrote Dilemma. Dilemma was a TV serial that was mainly inspired by Suit and a bit of Scorpion. There was a TV series called Scorpion that was more into computer science. So in Dilemma, they have a young guy who's a hacker who amazingly game this world intertwined with a young girl who's a creative writer and it explores the world of dark cyber life hacking and creative writing literature and these are some of the pieces that i've written and i look forward to producing them especially dilemma dilemma should come on a Ghanaian tv screen <laughs> dilemma i tell you you're going to love it uh jacob so jacob it is very clear that you have a penchant for writing, obviously for Africa, right? How prominent is the African story in your literature? And why is it so? Why are you so passionate about writing for Africa, for African audience, for, about African history, retelling the African story from a technological perspective, some, some kind of like a Wakanda-like um, literary perspective? Yeah, I, I believe it's, it's very needful for us as creatives, as African creatives also, you know, explore the, the dimensions of the creative prowess that is endowed in this beautiful continent called Africa. You know, looking at the amazing stories that have been told in the past by Africa. Nigeria is amazing. They, they have done so much when it comes to literature, drama, screenwriting, and TV series. And I feel it should not be only a particular country doing it. All of us should be on board and tell stories that define who we are that explore our identity, that explore our strengths, explore our creativity and ingenuity. Because it's, it's, it's quite difficult for a white person to write about Africa. But it would be more authentic and organic if a black writer or an African writer writes about Africa. But more so, you know, the technology, the physics, the computer science, the sci-fi, where is that inspiration from and how, and how does that fit into the African story? Yeah, so um, initially I felt writing about technology in Africa would not be so acceptable. But after Black Panther came, <laughs> that narrative or that mindset, that notion changed for me. You look at Black Panther, classic technology. Shuri was like, yeah, the backbone behind what about T'Challa did. And we have engineers here, we have people who are very intellectually advanced when it comes to science here in Africa. But mostly growing up as a young person, I, I thought sci-fi was only for the Western people because they are the ones who do the practical science 
and we do the science only in the books but it turns out that what we actually need is the space the resources and opportunity to actually put this practical science into real life and that's why i tell this african sci-fi technological story because it is possible for black people to also do all the amazing sci-fi or technological things that have been done in america and europe yeah so i mean i wanted to share your thoughts i mean it was in line but i wanted to show your thoughts further on the role that you think that you know sci-fi and more african sci-fi can actually do to inspire the, the next generation of scientists and thinkers in science and technology and people who are inspired to be innovative and creative because we know you know the western world has had a huge history of inspiration that came as a result of people um, who broke ground for young children to dream to see the possibilities of the future through sci-fi you know someone like Elon Musk has talked about how he was influenced by sci-fi with Russian Isaac um, books by Isaac Asimov and all of those people so what is the potential of that for African and especially for young children to wake up and see on a TV or read in a book or read a manga that is inspired by stories about Africans and the future that could be. Okay, so I, I feel it's very, very true. You know, most young people are inspired by most of the things they read. It's because we're like Elon Musk. So growing up, I didn't do any comic book. So I mostly discovered comic books in the university, everything about Marvel, DC Comics in the university, and it was quite like amazing, a whole new world for me. So with that experience, I felt there's a lot that is lacking in our educational system, and it is very imperative that as creative, we also look at how we can actually apply these amazing theories in our educational system just to augment or to solidify the mindset of the young people as they read you know as young people are coming up learning we ought to tell them that it is possible to be a black person who can go to space it is possible to be a black person who can go and do amazing stuff somewhere on a different planet it's possible to be a black person who can create a new breed through genetic engineering and biotechnology and i believe all this starts in literacy or in literature so far as they read it in their books, I'm sure mentally they'll have a picture that will stay with them forever. So Jacob, we've spoken about a lot of things right now and you've clearly outlined how sci-fi can really you know, transform the literary landscape, especially for children, and how it can motivate them to think and become, you know, because we have a lot of people here in Africa who have not grown up with a culture of innovation, right? And we always complain about a culture of innovation. And I think that from what you said, if you're able to popularize some of these stories, it then becomes that innovation itself can also be an African thing, that Africans can be innovative. And I think from that young age, it can really change their mindset. So I agree with you on that. But uh, that combines into, I guess, what has now become a genre called Afrofuturism. So can you tell us about Afrofuturism and what it is about? Um, okay, so Afrofuturism, as the name suggests, Afro and futuristic. So here, we, we, in Afrofuturism, we, we t tell stories about the kind of Africa we want to see in the future. So and, imagine you want to see an Africa where uh, we go to space every two weeks, 
So in an Afrofuturistic novel or literary piece, here we have people going to space always. So we are creating the kind of Africa that we want to see in the future. And it's not like only for 20 years to come or 10 years to come. That future is actually something we want to start doing now. And basically that's what Afrofuturism is basically about. And it has good connection also to science fiction because most of the things that are futuristic are technological. So you need to have a formidable scientific base to be able to create a future that will be solid and innovative. What is the Afrofuturism space looking at right now? And what do you think can be done to kind of accelerate it? Okay, so currently, I think we've done amazing. There's been a lot of literature and a lot of comic books. You know, most stories have been adapted into comic books so that the younger ones can also follow up what's happened currently. They know the book Black Panther or the movie Black Panther also like created a whole new world of African scientific possibility regards to literacy and anticipating Wakanda forever in November. And I think these are all things that have been done <laughs> deliberately just to psych up the minds of people that yes indeed there's a future that is coming and this future is going to be scientific or tech based and everybody who in time do not have the requisite scientific knowledge and background may not be able to be effective in this future that is coming and that's something that we're trying to you know make popular through literacy and through Afrofuturism. So maybe people don't get how big you know the Black Panther is but for you as a writer you've always told me about how monumental that movie was. Tell us about how great you think Black Panther is especially for that Afrofuturism, sci-fi, Africa, um, um, literary space and what you think it did for the space and the potential it has to you know really transform and you know inspire a new crop of writers and creators. Okay, so going on as a writer, I have read books. Mostly when I read books about black people, it's basically about you know, the fantasy, the magical, realistic part where you talk about someone who is a witch, so manipulating the element of nature to cause effects in the physical realm. There's little, or there was little stories that explored someone who is a computer science who sit behind a computer to create a program that can actually affect this community. Most of the stories by black people growing up that I read were about a witch, family life, relationship, social, economic things that happen in the normal days. So there was no much literacy about STEM or science fiction and agriculturism. And that's actually what Black Panther actually broke. So Black Panther broke the bridge where we can tell a story where black people actually can create their own electronic gadgets and devices. Looking at Shuri, the younger sister of T'Challa, amazing technologies that he was doing in Wakanda. And he didn't have any help from any external person. I don't really know where she got her education from, but I believe most of the inventions in Wakanda was by this young lady who was a black person. And for any younger person out there who watched the movie, you can imagine how inspiring and how positive it would be for such a younger person who may be inspiring to be a bioengineer or maybe an engineer one day to create apps. Black Panther made it possible for a black person to say, yes, I can build the whole world through science and technology. Black Panther made it so. Inspiring. So now let's talk about your book, The Raven, right? 
when did you start writing the raven but also tell us about the raven itself give us like a high level overview before we go into the details but what is about when did you start how did you get inspired to start so the raven is a young adult science fiction and fantasy novel that was written by myself released in 14th of march 2020 just before COVID broke in ghana so a lot of people didn't really hear so much about it but on the internet it's all about so the raven is basically a science fiction my first science fiction and fantasy novel that explores an unknown kingdom called the kingdom of mahara so in the kingdom of mahara the king of mahara is dying because of an abomination he had committed and no one seeks to know what this king has done that's making him weak so in the current situation the daughter of the king who is so emotional wants to do something for his father goes to see an old one in mahara called aiko and he, they have a discussion about what they can actually do to save the king and the woman gives the young lady only one option and that is to go into a dark forest or what we call the artisan forest to find a leaf that is believed to possess mystical abilities so this young lady mobilizes two of his good friends also females and is set into the artisan forest to find his leaf but just like you know taboos and traditions no one enters the artisan forest without the proper ritual so these ladies break a rule in mahara enter the artisan forest and in entering the forest what happens is not a good thing you have to get a copy of the book to find out what happens <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of thing give us a tease into that because i think that i was so soaked into it i mean i have read a book i have uh, but i think my audience will want to get a tease into it before we you know we go but i i think my audience are particularly interested in that let's go and also so that's for the first part of the story and on the other side we have an engineer who was actually doing a meteorological analysis on Mount Nafaya to the tallest mountain in Ghana. And while he was working with a wife who is a meteorologist, there was a vortex that caused an earthquake and swallows up the wife and closes. This is something mysterious. To him, the wife did not die, the wife disappeared. And he quit his job and goes back to his books just to discover why what ha actually happened happened with the hopes of finding his wife one day because to him he didn't believe that the wife actually died but he believed that the wife disappeared so in his quest to find his wife he builds a device called the portaract and he opens up a wormhole into space-time and as the portal opens he transits into the kingdom of Mahara and there's a confluence of those two worlds and amazing things happen in the raven you should get a copy and I tell you <laughs> You will love it forever. This is science fiction created in Africa by Jacob Van Osaya, the Raven. But tell us, there is an intersection of two worlds, but also there is deep knowledge in meteorology, in science fiction. I mean, in uh, in computer engineering, and um, there is a fantasy aspect, which is more common narrative, right? But you bring these two together. How does the research process look like? But also tell us the inspiration, but. Tell us like the process and like how in depth you had to go into learning some of these things that you were not previously, you know, um, you're not particularly an expert in, but you had to become an expert in for the book. Yeah, so growing up, I've had a chance to read a lot. Mostly the novel that really helped me in the process of writing The Raven is Michael Christian's Jurassic Park. And I have it right now in my bedroom. So I read Jurassic Park four times and I said, oh my word, what, what the novel. 
and I understand why it has been adapted to movies many times because it's a classic novel, Michael Christian's Jurassic Park. So I look at the amazing research Michael did with Jurassic Park, and I said I can't do less. So I have to get everything that I need. Well, my physics, mathematics, bioengineering, biotechnology, computer science, geology, oceanography, just to make sure that I know what I'm writing. Basically, it was the Raven explores a lot about science and to write science fiction your foundation you have to be great and as a physics student i think that's something that helped me a lot the difficulty was trying to create the fantasy world and that didn't really come so difficult for me because i i've had an exposure to many movies that explores a lot of fantasy and magical realism so that was it and the research was quite interesting because i got to learn new things about geology about tectonic plates, about you know the Mesozoic period, the period where the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and it was amazing. And putting all this into a book was, I think, an incredible experience for me. I still want you to break down the process, right? Someone wants to write a raven. What is it like? What comes into your mind first? What was that thing that came to your mind first, right? And where did you get the idea from? If there was a place or there was a confluence of things that happened, and also like day one of research, how did it look like, and how did that progress into literally becoming the book? Okay, so the, the first thing that I had in mind is, so we are going to write the Raven. The Raven is going to be a super character that's going to solve a lot of problems. She's going to be the protector of a civilization or a kingdom that is almost dying. So create a problem. So the first thing I did is I created a problem and that problem was that an engineer's wife is missing. Secondly, and the other problem was that the king of Mahara is dying. And we know that the kings are the protectors and the priests of every kingdom. So if the king is dying, then the kingdom is vulnerable. Anything can happen. So first I create a problem. Then I build a research of how I can create a solution to solve that problem. So that's what guided my research. So in day one, um, I went deep into geology. I had to do a little bit history about geology because Geology has their own amazing history about the origin of the universe. They believe that a stone hit the planet, divided the Earth into two, it was separated by an amount of water, and most of the crust of the Earth is made up of tectonic plates that vibrate at different frequencies. And when they vibrate at different frequencies, they create portals that connect one dimension onto the other. And as someone who has been following stuff on particle physics and atomic physics, it was quite easier for me because I understood the, the the theory of wormholes and time travel. So I just employed that one in creating the two worlds where they will intersect in the future and it continued, you know, in that manner until the story was complete. Yeah. Beautiful. So what do you seek the Raven to do? I mean, it's not having the best map as we anticipated, but hopefully the podcast is going to make sure that it travels further. But what do you see to do with the Raven? Okay, so first, mostly as a young person growing up, when I was learning as a creative, they tell us that literature is for three things, to educate, to inform, and to entertain. So first, education. So I wanted to educate every young lady out there that you can do it. It's possible to venture into the STEM field, be an engineer, be a biotechnologist, be an astrophysicist. It's possible as a young lady to do anything you want to do in science. Because the inner power is not really about what people tell you, it's about 
the intrinsic energy and the passion that you have for that thing that you wish to do. Secondly, I also wanted to challenge many writers that it's possible to also tell African stories. It's possible to do sci-fi in Ghana and Africa. It's not like we don't have people who can tell science fiction stories. We have many people who like to do it and I'm one of them and I was able to do it. So anyone who wants to write science fiction can also do it brilliantly like I did it in The Raven. And finally, I'm also like introducing something new I call the Creative Brilliance Afrobus where we are going to have a whole community where we train people in telling sci-fi and fantasy stories using the raven as the foundation or as a blueprint we want to train more people who are passionate about telling science fiction stories and the raven is going to be a proof that it's going to be possible and it will be possible if only we are committed to these tasks so the cba right yeah is creative brilliant, brilliant afroverse what is the Afroverse? Just like the name suggests, you have Africa and the universe. So it's an African universe where we tell our African stories, the amazing, the transcendental, the sublime, the normal African stories, the mythologies, the crash can, explosive science stories. An engineer who was exposed to dark matter or radiation, therefore he transformed to become something, which is possible also because we have a nuclear facility here in Ghana and not only about Hulk. <laughs> so the Afroverse seeks to tell African sci-fi and fantasy stories, connect to everyday life, connect to how we can use these stories to solve problems in our society. Good. And I understand the vision, but what are your plans towards making the creative brilliance Afroverse to come to fruition? So I've been working a lot on CBA. I'm, I'm looking at CBA more like a scientific organization and a foundation. You know, just like we all go to school to study the courses that we study. I feel CBA should also be like an institution that trains people, bring out the innovation, the creative and the ingenious nature in people. So that to enable them to be creative thinkers anytime they are approached with solving problems. And that's the vision basically about it. And going forward, I'm still working on building a solid proposal. So if you're an organization out there and you believe CBA is something needful, I'll need all the support, all the partnership. But I'm currently, I'm building a solid profile so I can basically um, send to organizations that I believe will be very interested, would like to partner and support this vision so that it become a reality. But Jacob is not only a writer, Jacob is also other things. Jacob, you are a teacher in high school. So tell us about your experience and how you got into becoming a teacher in high school and what you do in high school teaching. Okay, so I'm a science teacher. I teach physics and a bit of mathematics in senior high school currently. It's something I never anticipated would ever happen to me. I never thought I'd end up in a classroom. But after my national service, I had a choice, chance, and I took it. And it's been an amazing four-year experience as a science teacher in one of Ghana's prestigious senior high schools in Dansuman. And <laughs> I, I, I can say I've learned so much and still learning. Um, Jacob has a way to embellish things. But the truth is that, Jacob, this is not a, a prestigious senior high school. This is a senior high school that's in a community that is uh, struggling that has a high rate of, you know, um, truancy and students that do not see 
the need for education? How are you really able to motivate your students to really see the possibilities there? Okay, so as a young person growing up, I had the chance to go to quite um, good schools. So we have the school I attended, student studios and studios with academic work. But in my school where I find myself, students are not really enthused about academic work. Teachers or administration is not really perturbed about what becomes of the student. And as a teacher, you want to make a change. You want to make an impact in the life of these young people. And you do all your best. You attend classes. You give notes. You give exercises. You even sponsor lunch for them sometimes. <laughs> Just to make sure that they at least do something better with what you are teaching them. And it's so difficult sometimes. And you ask yourself, is it, is it only this environment or this some, is it something all over Africa or all over Ghana? A place where people are not really passionate about learning and we give our all to them and they don't see the essence of our sacrifice. And it's something that I'm still working on and hoping that it will change. But it's quite difficult where I am. Very, very difficult. So what do you think the problem stems from? I think the, the problem stems from the history. I think for many years since the school was established, there's not been a solid scientific system or academic system that challenges students to go beyond the normal. It's more like where I am, everything is so lackadaisical, complacency. We are okay with where we are. We don't need to strive harder. We don't need to work harder. We are okay with where we are and everybody's relaxed. When you are trying to do or go the extra mile, you are branded as the guy who wants to prove himself better than the older people. Older staff are there. They don't care. I would like to say this on podcast. Most of the staff interested in making money, not interested in impacting the young ones. So they come in, it's all about the money they will make. It's not about the transformation they'll give to the students. And for us young ones who want to change this narrative, when we try, we become the, the, the evil people. We are branded as too known. We are branded as we think we know more than the old people. And it's something that's killing most public work or public sector. Most public sectors are just dry and extant. They are just in, the, they are not doing anything. And if Ghana will change for the better, and I'm so excited for the Change African Postcards, we need to restructure our human resources because many people in the government sector, they are not doing any serious work. They are just there lazing about and just chit-chatting. They wait their whole eight hours at work and go home. Because I've been in the field for four years, so I'm talking from practical experience. And I don't care whoever would like to challenge this because I have empirical evidence to substantiate my assertions. It's very bad. And Ghana will not transform. Ghana will not move forward if you continue with this culture of public service. Many people are there doing nothing. I've always said that public service in Ghana needs discipline. It needs a restructuring. But we need to bring professionalism and dignity to it. Because it almost seems like when you get into public center, and it's not a Ghanaian problem. So like, we are in the Change Africa podcast and I want to make it a more African conversation because there are people who've come on the podcast and have talked about how the decline and the decay of public service is at the center of the worsening of our democracies. Because even if there is a political party that comes in power, they're able to be there for over a period of time. But it's the institutions that are permanent and the people in the institutions have to have a reshuffling of mindsets or we should reshuffle the people themselves so we can bring a younger generation as we are saying because we have a decadence in brain activity in public service because we have 
unfortunately an older generation that is not willing to embrace the creativity and innovation of the of the younger generation and sometimes that unfortunately affects the pace of innovation and progress and that is a sad story um, because high school is a very fundamental part like a pivotal part in the transformation of the people especially because it's a is the foothold into um the tertiary education but what do you think can be done to really solve the problem of um um of secondary education in ghana but before that maybe you want to talk about there's a ghana policy called free education that has been heavily debated from your perspective before you talk about um, what can be done to solve some of the problems you've talked about how good or bad is free education in ghana this very controversial very highly debated policy as a practical teacher okay so as a practical teacher a professional teacher to be more precise whilst i've been teaching for four years i'll say free education has its pros and cons free education is good for the one who in times passionate about learning and becoming someone in the future but it's limited by resources there's no money in the house for such a person Free education is a big blessing to the person. On the other side, we have other students who are not passionate about literacy, like book and books, solving math and reading. This is more of Tibet technology and hands-on kind of schooling, education. And all these people are pushing to the senior high schools with some have very bad grades from junior high schools and they are pushing to the senior high schools to learn the same courses like others who are passionate. So mostly for the school that I am, we don't have so many students from the GHS who are very high intellectually. Many of them are low intellectually. So they come in and influence the other ones. So the, the issue with free education with regards to where I am is that we don't get the best. Most of them are not students who are supposed to be in senior high school. Most of them should be in vocational and technical schools because that's where their strength and that's where their creativity will aid them to do great exploits. But because of the free education, they all come in, they all learn in commerce, all learn in chemistry. And if you can't learn simple chemistry, then I don't know what you'll be able to learn in life. Some of these students, their passion is tech and vocational school, and that's where they should be. So with the free education, I feel it's, it would be good if the person is passionate and a very intelligent student but for the non-intelligent student, they, they should be given the option of going to the vocational school or the technical school. Well, I guess you say non-intelligent, yeah. you mean that non-intelligent in the traditional way, yeah. right? That they may want to veer into more um, academic fields. Yeah. But these are students who are not necessarily dumb. It's just that they are not suited for the yeah. um, high school education as it is, right? Yeah, very true. So we have students coming with aggregate 30, 35, and you want to do elective maths with 30, you want to do chemistry with 45, you want to do biology with 37, it's a burden on the teachers. So that's the plight that we are facing. With where I am and other good C schools, it's a common challenge. Some of the students are not suited for certain topics and subjects. But since the free education has made it so, they all come in. So again, let's go to the question I was asking. Now, first, to the questions I asked about the problems previously you discussed, but now also with um, um, free education, can you bundle it together as in how we can look to transforming high school education in Ghana? Okay, so the first point I'll state is 
there should be a reshuffling of our curricula. The curricula we use is like it's something that I've been all over the place, mostly eighty percent theory, twenty percent practicals. If you can change and make it the opposite, twenty percent theory or fifty percent theory, fifty percent practical, I think it will equip people with practical skills. Even after high school they can build businesses and do more. Secondly, the administrative structure of most high schools. Sometimes there's a struggle because the administrative is made up of old stuff. And for old people, they care less. Mostly their care is for their wives and children. So for the, when the younger staffs come in and want to bring change, it becomes a hurdle, it becomes contentions. I believe after every 20 years or after every 15 or 12 years, a staff should be reposted to a different station. In where I am, people have taught in the school for up to like 20 years, 22 years, and they are still in the school teaching. And for, 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 for such a space, the person is relaxed because he always teaches things that are comfortable to him. He doesn't want to explore other things. He's not contemporary with the new curricula that's coming out. All that he knows is the things that he knows already. And since it's a, a senior person or someone who has gathered experience, we allow the person to do what he does because we believe in Africa that old age is experience. So, so far as someone is old, it's experience. But it's a pathetic fib. Old age is not a requisite for experience. So we need to recycle our re human resources, the public system. We need younger and fresh blood to come in. Many teachers, many old teachers are too much in the system. They need to be transferred. And finally, there should be tr constant training programs to upgrade the pedagogy skills of most teachers. In the government sector, I don't remember the last time we had a training program for teachers. We don't have training programs. So the old traditional way of teaching is all that we've been using. Recently, there was a free laptop distribution so that it will equip teachers with ICT skills. You come and see most of the teachers struggling because most of them don't have basic IT skills and the world is moving towards digital and most of them don't have. So how can they transfer it to these young ones? So that's something that's also needful. Consistent training program, digital training program for teachers because that's where the world is moving towards. And these are some of the things I think can help transform our education. And on the free education, in the problems you highlighted, how do you think we can make sure that we can create a better, more equitable education for the less needy but brilliant, but also reduce the burden on government spending. Great. So one thing my, my mom says is that the president has done great, but it's it's like the free education has actually absorbed so much human resources in the country, so that we are now going to IMF. I thought there are some families who are capable of securing their world's school fees, and such people should be given the opportunity to pay for their world's fees. It's good for the ones who can pay for them. The free education is classic for them. But for, for those who can actually afford education, families from good homes, they should be allowed to make a contribution. And also, with regards to the technicalities, not all students should be given the opportunity to just enroll in any course. Students should be tested and analyzed in the first year to get to know their best skill sets, their strengths. If someone is good with academia, you should be allowed to do the normal academic stream courses. If another person is good with technical and vocational, that person should be taken to the technical and vocational school because in the end, it's all about gathering the necessary skills for nation building. It's not just about going through a system where you finish school and you can't do anything, you're just in the house.
So that's something that I would like to propose with regards to the free education and how restructuring it can actually increase the proficiency of our human resource as a country. I think those are some brilliant contributions, Jacob. But Jacob, as we venture into the last end of the conversation, let's talk about the next step for you, Jacob Manosai. What should you expect from Jacob? Well, change our podcast. So um, I've been working a lot. Yeah, just like 2020, the Raven came out. I was supposed to do something this year, 2022. But looking at the conditionalities with COVID and my schedule as a tutor, currently preparing my final year student for exams. So I've not had ample time to do more writing, but I've been working behind the scenes. So we look forward to next year, bringing out a trilogy, a trilogy of sci-fi, still in a sci-fi business, exploring the possibilities of African sci-fi and Afrofuturism. So next year, let's look up three novels, all on science fiction. And if someone is listening to Jacob and is so, you know, excited by your passion, and they wanted to help you. What is your pitch to them? Like, you know, give me one minute to pitch to anybody who's listening. It's like, this Jacob guy has a vision for African writing, for Afrofuturism, for African sci-fi, for rethinking fantasy. Um, what would you say to them? So basically what I would say is that I discovered that what I'm trying to afford or give to Africa is needful. As an educator, most of our students need science fiction novels, they need science fiction stories, they need animated movies just to augment their creative thinking and innovative you know, potentials. And that's what I seek to do with creative brilliance afterwards and telling science fiction stories. So I, 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 I'm welcoming or I'm open up to anyone who believes this is a good venture, this is a good thing to do for any support, sponsorships and partnerships to make CBA a reality and also to make African science fiction and fantasy storytelling something practical and more, you know, <laughs> convincing with most of our literacy spaces that we have here in Ghana. So if anyone wants to buy The Raven, where can they get it to buy? Great, so currently The Raven is available on Book Nook Dog Store, available on Goodreads, also available on Amazon. So we can have a copy on Amazon and you can just Google The Raven and Hopefully, if you follow me, Jacob A.O. Sign on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, send me a message. You can also make a personal delivery if you are here in Ghana. If you're outside Ghana, Amazon is also, you know, cool for you. You can make a purchase on Amazon. So I'll put a link in the description for the Raven and for the amazing work that Jacob has done. But time is not going to permit us to talk about a lot of things. But Jacob is uh, an award-winning publisher because he has been part of um, poetry collections that have, you know, been awarded and other things. Can you briefly talk about your other writing apart from science fiction? Because that's what this conversation has talked about, like your poetry and other things that short stories that have, you know, gotten some commendation. Okay, so earlier this month, 1st of July, there was an anthology launch uh, titled um, Voices That Sing Behind the Veil, an anthology of short African stories from Africa and the Diaspora, edited by Ivo Ajimandia, and a section of my story was selected and published together with amazing writers all over Africa, and that was something amazing for this year, and people can check out that one, Voices That Sing Behind the Veil, an anthology of short stories from Africa and the diaspora, which includes my story, Jacob Eosine. The story is titled The Kingdom of Mahara, actually taken from the Raven. 
and we've also had the chance to be interviewed by writers of the future writers of the future is the main american sci-fi organization and that was inspired by Elron Hubbard. he was one of the great pioneers of science fiction in america and through his creative you know innovation he was able to create this award system that awards writers all over the world who always submit short sci-fi stories every year then also in 2019 my short story iron boy was captured in larabanga short story by amata edu if you're african or Ghanaian, you know amata edu one of the mothers of literature in ghana and yeah so that's a few of some of our accomplishments and we look forward to greater things in the years to come jacob amana Osa is an author writer he's a thinker he's an afrofuturist He's creating the Creative Brilliance Afroverse and he wants to retell African story through science fiction, fantasy, and technology. And he has been our guest on the Change Africa podcast, exploring how we can use that creativity and the strength of our storytelling beyond the normal stories we tell to venture into things that explore the possibilities of African future to inspire the next generation. It's been an amazing time with Jacob and thank you very much for coming to the Change Africa podcast. Thank you very much Isaac too, for having me and I'm very grateful for this opportunity and I look forward to greater conversations in the future. Great.